yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing when you know, just shove a bunch of random things into your head and shake it up and something spills out. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Manuscript. As always, I am your host, Cooper Anderson, coming to you from my very own library pocket dimension here. Uh, before we get into it today, Beyond the Manuscripts is, of course, currently available everywhere you find podcasts. And if you like what I do here, hit that like, subscribe, follow, all of the buttons. It absolutely helps out the channel and lets me keep doing what I love, which is talk to you lovely people about books. Okay, so let's get into it. My guest today is a notable science fiction author with nearly 100 works published. He is featured in Analog Daily Science Fiction and is the recipient of the L. Ron Hubbard's Writer of the Future Award. Recently, he has transitioned into the world of publishing, launching Farthest Star Publishing in the hopes to provide a platform for emerging sci-fi, fantasy, and horror writers. Please help me welcome my guest, David D'Amico. How are we doing today, David? I'm doing fine, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being uh, a guest here on the show. I'm excited. I'm always really, really interested in seeing the more of the behind-the-scenes stuff when it comes to the world of publishing. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really curious to pick your brain. And so to kind of just jump right into it, uh, can you tell us uh, all about Farthest Star Publishing? How did it get started? What are your goals, etc.? I started Farthest Star Publishing in hopes to give voice to stories that are outside the traditional size limits of most markets. A lot of markets in science fiction and fantasy today, they, they have caps around 5,000 words. Um, there's a lot of good stories that can't even get started at 5,000 words, but they're not big enough to be novels. They're somewhere in what I call the lost formats, the novellas, um, there's very few markets that handle stories, 10,000, 15,000 words. Um, and and out, of, out of those markets, almost none of them will take reprints. Um, I have no problem with reprints. I think a lot of the markets that bigger stories have been sold in, and a lot of markets in general, don't get a wide audience. So I'm looking to get those stories, those fantastic stories that, are really hard to sell. I'm looking to get those and promote them either in anthologies or in standalone books. Um, I'm looking to showcase people who don't get seen enough. Awesome. It's a, I think it's a great goal to have. Um, and so what is it specifically about like sci-fi, fantasy, horror genres that you wanted to work in? Well, I, I've been a sci-fi reader since before Star Wars, <laughs> since way, way back. And it's it's my genre of choice to read and watch on TV or movies. Um, so it seemed natural for me to get into it when I started writing. Um, I write a lot of science fiction. I write some fantasy. I dabbled in horror. I tried mystery horribly. <laughs> but uh, I have sold about 100 stories, everything short. I've, I've tried writing novels. I can't do it. Um, so I'm embracing the short firm form and I'm uh, 
I'm hoping to help others embrace it. Cool. What's your process then for you know, getting a short story? Is it start with a scene? Does it just start with a random idea? Tell me how to, you know, for you, where does a story start and how do you know when you're finished with it? <laughs> well, the story always tells you when it's finished. Um, but for starting, it could be anything. It could be walking down the street and see a dog run by and like, what if that dog weren't really a dog? Or at the coffee shop and hear a piece of somebody's conversation. I misheard somebody um, talking at one point, and I thought they said something like "boo sang goo," and it's like that's not English. <laughs> um, but I turned that into an alien, and I wrote a story that sold off of just not hearing somebody correctly. Yeah, very good. I, I always uh, admire that kind of creative process of the combination of just, you know, different pieces of different people's lives and then that little added spark of imagination on of basically what if, right? You know, like you said, like what if that dog wasn't actually a dog? What or what if the person at the coffee shop was, you know, uh, an actual alien and they're having a conversation in an alien language? And so I, you know, that's it's really interesting to see um you know just where these ideas kind of come from when we ourselves don't really know specifically they're just kind of these combinations that kind of fit together like the the gears inside of a watch kind of a thing yeah it's 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 pretty amazing when you just shove a bunch of random things into your head and shake it up and something spills out um, so, um, when it comes to publishing, from wanting, you know, to have your own stuff published to wanting to publish other people's stories, that's a really big leap. And so, what inspired you to form, you know, Farthest Star and actually, you know, make that leap from writer to publisher? Publishing, I'm writing is a very solitary endeavor. And as a writer, I have sympathy for the submission process and how easily you could be rejected and, and just tossed aside. <laughs> um, at Father's, I, I, started I started publishing because I wanted to collaborate with others. I wanted to see how others um, wrote stories and I wanted to add them to um, my list of stories and I wanted to see how they would um, deal with different themes and like i said i always wanted to find a home for stories that didn't quite fit the size limits there's so many people out there writing great stories that they can't get published and i feel their pain do you have now that you're on the let's say the other side of the metaphorical desk as it were um, do you have a particular story in mind where you're like, oh, I really love this, and I know this couldn't sell in today's current market, uh, and then you know that gets you kind of jazzed up to actually go get it out there? But do you remember that a particular story where you were like, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for? I found a, a, a few stories that um, showcase what I'm looking to do. Um, the recent anthology I started putting together, Leadership Gone Right, um, I got a few stories that were well outside the size limits um, that I established. Like they established an 8,000 word cap. Um, I got a couple of stories that were 10, 11, 12,000 words. I still read them. 
I, I accepted a couple of them because, you know, those are the stories I want. You know, I had a, I had a cap in mind for the anthology because I wanted to fit a certain number of stories in, but I I made leeway for for good stories of any size. Mm -hmm. I think because I, I mentioned this earlier with a couple of other interviews I've done in the past where um, we're kind of phasing out of the time in the world of books where we have this like mysterious reclusive author to where all they have to do is write, you know, a fantastic book and they, you know, get to go live on their ranch somewhere in the middle of nowhere and not interact with an audience, not grow, not market, not interview, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so when you don't have that kind of author anymore, there comes more rejection. And so the idea that uh, to be an author, you also now have to have one really thick skin for rejection and then also uh, a whole bunch of other skills like you have to learn how to market you have to learn how to talk to people you have to give a good interview you you know you have to be in the public light a bit that is definitely true you can't just submit a story and and let it all happen around you uh, nowadays a, a lot of markets at least the smaller ones for uh, books and stories they want to know what your marketing plan is for your story. They want to know um, how many followers you have on different platforms. It's like stuff that nobody asked me when I started writing. It's like followers, what's that? You know, um, marketing plan, that's your job. But a lot of these places, uh, in order to even look at your manuscript, they want to know what you plan to do to market it. And for some people, that's way too much. Because writers are solitary. <laughs> They're on the outskirts sometimes. You know, in order to have all these big thoughts, you have to have a little world, <laughs> at least for some people. <laughs> um, so it, it's difficult. It's very difficult. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about taking in submissions um for uh farthest star can you tell me a little bit more about the submission the open submissions process for uh farthest star right now and what specifically are you looking for we need blind we um prefer not to have any author details on the stories that we get because that way the story is the important thing you know we get to read the story with no preconceived notions um we don't want to know that you've been You've gotten 15 Oscars for writing great science fiction stories because, you know, this might not want to be one of them. <laughs> um, it's all about the story first, and then we'll talk to the people. Gotcha. So you mentioned a little bit before that you have uh, coming out in April an anthology called Leadership Gone Right. Um, what can you tell us about it? It's an anthology with a theme about leadership, um, inspiring leadership. Um, or maybe not inspiring leadership. You know, leaders that their people think they're crazy, but at the end they prove to be right. Somebody who's got a vision that nobody else can see, you know, an inner strength. And I've gotten a lot of good stories around that theme. We, we've gotten, uh, we've completed the um, story submission process. I'm editing the stories right now. Uh, we'll be choosing a cover soon, and it'll be available for pre-order probably at the beginning of March. I'm very excited because this is our first anthology. Uh, it 
exceeded expectations with the amount of stories we've gotten and the amount of good stories we got. And so as an editor, because you're doing the editing yourself, what particular elements in a story do you really look for? Like what you like, oh, have I, I discovered this in a story, that means I know it's going to either pay off or it's going to be really good by the end of it. The writing is going to be competent <laughs> to start with. You've got to have a, a grasp of the grammar and the regular stuff. Um, but it's the way they get into a story. My, my preference is like the first line has to be really good, really strong. Um, if, you, if, if you see a strong first line, you know that the story is going to be strong throughout, or at least you have that hope. Um, some people don't know exactly where to start a story. I had one uh, person submit a story to me where it was a great story, except the first, the whole first scene was completely unnecessary. But the rest of the story was so good. I, I sent them an email and I asked, you know, would you consider losing the first scene? Because if you do, I'll buy the story because, you know, it was a good story. It just had that bulk at the beginning that wasn't really necessary. Some people get a little carried away or they don't know exactly where to start a story, but they do know how to finish one. That's, I think, one of the hardest parts for new writers to understand. Um, it's okay to throw away some words. What do you wish writers or new writers knew about publishing when they first try to get their story published? New writers should read um, some of the publications that they submit to. Get a feel for what they're looking for. Um, read the guidelines. Always read the guidelines. Funny, um, our guidelines are clearly posted in several places, and still, probably about thirty percent of the stories I got didn't follow. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, judge the stories based on that, but still, it's a little annoying. Um, and I know there's a lot of uh, publishers out there that complain about things like that, where people don't read the guidelines; they just send stories wild. Uh, and you know, I guess. That's one of the ways to do it. Just throw everything out there and see what sticks. But um, authors, um, publishers will see that. Editors will see that. And they'll have second thoughts about you if you just start throwing anything at them. Uh, so uh, what is Farthest Star's plans for after the anthology? What are you guys going to do after that? After the anthology, um, we're starting up a second anthology called, um, tentatively titled Portals, Gateways, and Doors. You know, magical realm, you know, places you can go from one place to another instantaneously, either in mind or body. It doesn't matter. Just something that's close to that theme. Uh, I'd like to have two anthologies a year running, so this will be our second. And uh, I'd like to expand the catalog for our novellas. I just started putting together some um, longer works, but I, I plan on having um, a large catalog of eight to 15,000 word stories that people can purchase cheaply, that they can read in an evening, afternoon. They can get a whole bunch of them and put them together and make their own anthology out of them. But I'd like to, get a, I'd like to start purchasing uh, novellas this year. How many? It depends on funding, but uh, we'll probably find as, as many homes as we can for longer works. 
things that people have a hard time selling. I think this is probably one of the bigger potential room for publishing to grow is with, like you said, like, like novella length stuff because of certain platforms like eBooks or Kindles or whatever, because before the invention of uh, like eBooks, um, it was almost impossible to sell like a novella. Like you, you know, the, unless you were, unless your name was Stephen King or like Neil Gaiman or something, nobody was going to buy them because, you know, nobody really pays money for a tiny little booklet of a novella, unless it's part of, like you said, a part of a, a bigger anthology. But now with uh, things like Kindle Unlimited or whatever, um, you know, it's much easier to, uh, I think anyway, for people to access those kinds of stories. Would you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Not nowadays, it's a lot easier to um, publish shorter works and there's more of a market for them. Um, people are, some people are voracious uh, readers and a lot of them don't want to get caught up in, a, in an epic quest of some kind uh, if they're not sure of who the writer is. These are, what I consider these novellas is advertising for larger works. If the author is working on novels and stuff, this is a, a primer. It's, you know, I get to see the author's style and how they write a story without investing $20 in a novel or buying a, you know, a large anthology just to read this one author. I can, I can just get this story and see what it's like. Yeah, exactly. And I, I quite like that, um, the economy of story uh, at that point, because you're right, because, you know, it's really asking a lot for someone to get into something like, you know, the Wheel of Time, the Stormlight Archive, these huge, huge tomes of a novel where, you know, you know, if you let's say you get 100 pages in and it's just not for you, you know, you tend to feel guilty a little bit. And we're like, all right, I spent 20 bucks on this book. There's 500 pages. I'm, you know, I'm a fifth of the way through and I'm just not into it. I don't like it. However, you know, if you spend, you know, two bucks on, you know, a, a digital copy of a novella, it's 20 pages and you end up liking it. There's only like room for potential. And if not, you're not, you know, if it's just not your thing, whatever story you bought, um, then, you know, like you said, you don't have a whole lot of guilt attached to it. Yeah, that's that's where we're going with this. We'd like it to, to be more. We'd like to make works more accessible, cheaper, um, easier for people to read many different authors to get a feel for what's out there. Because now you, you go to a bookstore, there's only so many authors they can display. And it's the usual big ones. You don't see new emerging voices. You don't get to know people, diverse people that um, may not have anything else out there but might in the future yeah absolutely could you tell us a little bit more about the fracture the fracture that's a shared universe that i'm developing um that i'd like to put out there for um writers to become a part of i have a basic canon i have a a, a land with uh, um, territories and peoples and i'd like to populate that with characters from other authors because i've always been fascinated about how two people can see the exact same thing and take away something completely different from it it's it's just amazing when you see people writing the same story and it's nowhere near the same 
it's the same people, it's the same scenery, but they're completely different motivations, completely different lives. And I, and I love that so much. I've been involved in a lot of shared universes. Uh, I've sold quite a few stories in shared universes, and it's one of my favorite things. So I thought I'd try bringing it out to the public from this platform, something where I can expand it and not so much control it, but guide it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's kind of, um, you know, you're setting up a sandbox and you're inviting other kids to come play in it, right? Yes, exactly. And if you want to, um, do you want to talk a little bit more about, like, the actual lore of the Fracture? Like, like what's going on? What's this big unifying thing in this, you know, shared universe that you're trying to share with the world? Well, we, we we're still in its development stages, but the basic concept is in the north of this land, technology rules. In the south of the land, magic rules. And there's a gradient where technology fails and magic fails till they get to a point called the parity in the middle, where magic and technology, neither one of them work. But there's a gradient where things work at different levels. Um, I've got an explanation for how it works. It's technical for some reason, <laughs> but um, it lends its, this world lends itself to your high magic stories, your steampunk uh, science fiction stories. And then when you get closer to the parody and things don't work, you get the, the weird West, you get uh, the Arabian Nights. It, it goes through quite a different list of subgenres in the same world with people interacting and mixing in these cultures. Very cool. That sounds, honestly, that sounds really, really interesting. And I, you know, I can't wait to hear more about it uh, when it starts getting a little bit more developed. Sweet. Uh, okay, so you have mentioned, you know, your anthologies that are going to come out this year, your immediate goals of wanting to buy more novellas, but um, for you, what are your further out publishing goals for Farthest Star? My, my goals that I've had for most of my writing life has been to try to give something back. I don't know quite what that looks like yet, but I'd like to have the ability to give something back, some kind of scholarship, reward, something, something to encourage new writers. Um, all right. Uh, well, David, we are running out of time here. So my final question, as always, where can people find your stuff? Well, we're um, on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, the usual suspects. We'll be putting a shop onto the website. Uh, com, and uh, we'll be selling the books through there. We'll be selling the books at local conventions, and I'm going to try to get us into a few local bookstores and try to branch out from there. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, there's going to be links, of course, to everything in the description down below, uh, as always. Um, all right. Well, uh, that is going to do it for us today here at uh, Beyond the Manuscript, uh, of course, powered by Manuscripts, where you never write alone. I want to thank my guest, David D'Amico, for coming on the show today. David, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.